Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday, and we're back with another episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Mike? It is going well. What's up, everybody? You've got Mike and Mike once again. Uh, a, little, a, little, a little humid here in Brooklyn, but not that hot. It's just kind of miserable, crappy, you know, weather that it's summer, but it doesn't even really feel like summer, you know? What do you think? Yeah, it's pretty goddamn humid out, man. It's really yeah. wet, it's sort of thick, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's thick. It's kind of thick out. But uh, things are okay. Mike and I got to see the Mighty Emperor over the weekend, kids, at the beautiful King's Theater in Brooklyn, huh, Mike? I was there as well, man. Uh, I was uh, accompanied <laughs> by uh, by Evan and uh, yes. from Quell. And um, he came up for the weekend to check out the show and hang out a little bit. And uh, everyone had a great time, man. It was it was mighty. It was incredible. Yeah. Stella and I had a great time. I thought they were fucking record perfect, you could say. No? Yeah, it, it was really kind of... Uh, like, I never thought I'd see Emperor again, actually. And, um, mm, me was, neither, yeah. yeah. And it was uh, uplifting. You know, it was like a very intense experience. They were incredible. They sounded great. Sam Oth was there. Yeah, uh, man. It really, really well worth the, the the night. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, it dawned on me. Sam Oth was one of the uh one of the doers, Mike, among amidst the uh the inner circle. You know, he was a doer. Oh yeah. He he wasn't uh he wasn't one of the ones who just kinda hung out. He he actually helped burn down a church with, with Varg back in the day. Yeah. And actually went to uh, prison for 16 months. How about that, Samoth? Yeah. I mean, that was part of the reason why there were certain tours where he did not mm -hmm. play with the band in the United States. So his felony charges. So. Yes, that's right. Um, but, you know, bless the uh, Norwegian penal system, the man's able to tour and have uh, have a grand old time. So uh, he, uh, th that he was able to tour, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was incredible, man. It was a good night. Uh Great venue, the King's Theater. Anyone who is uh, in the tri-state area, try to check out a show at the King's Theater in Brooklyn. It's uh, grand is the word that comes to mind when I think of that place. Yeah, that was that was uh, Stella and I's, I's third time there in the month of June. Uh, we saw uh, Love and Rockets a few weeks ago, and then the week before that, we saw Sisters of Mercedes, so uh, Emperor ended our residency at the King's Theater for June. It really is nice. a beautiful place, man. Yeah, hell yeah. I hope they do more like, you know, bands I enjoy there. I know Nick Cave will be there in October. It's a very pricey ticket, but uh, perhaps perhaps we'll go. We'll see. I think you know? I might throw down for that one. So uh, mm -hmm. I, might, I might also be uh, be at that show as well. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that was was a cool weekend. Um, at the tail end of the weekend, I saw Evil Dead Rise, my kill. I, uh, I watched it. And OK, I, I was trying to remember the scores that you and Jeff gave it. And I, I've landed I landed on a personal three out of five for myself. Um, wasn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, I thought it was worth seeing. But the first hour and change, I did not like it at all, actually. I think it really started picking up steam in the end when they started having a, having a lot of fun with the gore, Mike. I, that, I, I think the movie, you know, was a, a 
the change of pace at around that point was needed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I looked unfavorably on that movie, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just think they missed a really great opportunity to do something cool with that storyline, you know? Yeah, look, well, to a lot of people they did, which was put it into the city, so to speak, and I didn't really like the city setting. I didn't like the, you know, very non-LA, LA apartment building setting, which looked nothing like an LA apartment building. Um, it was like, you know, some old factory or whatever. I'm sure the viewers know what I'm talking about if they've seen it. Um, I didn't really like any of the characters all that much. I didn't feel bad for any of the characters. Um, I thought the dialogue was pretty bad. Yeah, dialogue is terrible. Horrible. Yeah. But what I, again, what I liked, I liked the bookend thing. I liked that, actually. That beginning ending, I liked that. That I liked. I like the little shining nod with the blood elevator. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, right. Um, and I liked how just they really went for it with the gore and blood. Again, last 25 minutes, I guess, of the movie, you know, um, I was enjoying that. But like leading up to that, I was like, whoa, this is like painful. <laughs> like, you know, I just, I just wasn't liking it, you know? And some people are like, it's the best horror movie of the year so far. And I'm just like, okay, okay. If you think that that's, uh, that's on you, Mike, you know, geez. I strongly disagree with the sentiment of it being <laughs> the best horror movie of the year for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's an, it's a no for me as uh, Simon Cowell used to say on uh, American Idol. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I come away with liking the 2013 better. And of course, the best being the original. I mean, you know, pretty pretty easy for me, you know, that order. In ge- um, in it makes general, me want to rewatch the 2013 one, though, actually. Yeah, it, you know, in general, it's been a lot of misses in the Evil Dead franchise, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Agree. I'm not a big Army of Darkness guy. Agree. So, yeah, I think that movie's a bit silly, but I, I know it's supposed to be silly, but I, I don't know. I think I'm such a part one purist that, like, like by the time they got to army of darkness i was just like what are they doing like i don't know like i just i didn't get it like you know i didn't want the humor like i didn't want like a a slapstick movie i guess i don't know yeah yeah so yeah there's my uh, my evil dead rise score for any uh, anyone who's curious <laughs> but um yeah i guess if you want we can get to some pluggy plugs yeah, there's uh, of course we're part of the Illuminati of podcasting. Of course, we're talking about the Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. That's right. And uh, starting off, we got on Mondays we got Brandon Legion bringing us Horror Wolf Six Six Six. Hmm. On Tuesday, we have the Mighty Metal Juggernaut into the Necrosphere, hosted by the infamous Jackie Smith. What do we got on Wednesday? Wednesday, I is uh, I come at you guys with everything went black, which is uh, right. a thing that I've been doing for quite a while, and it's uh, a very uh, eclectic mix of things. You never know what you're going to get on that show, and uh, I like to keep it that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on Thursday, well, kids, you're listening to it. It is the greatest horror podcast in the world, the Necromaniacs podcast, right? Uh, on Friday... You have my brother from our actual mother, uh, John Draper, 
with his Break the Apocalypse podcast. They've got some changes coming. Stay tuned. I'm telling you, those changes I've been teasing are coming uh, sooner than later. Uh, on Saturday, go out. It's summertime. You know, have some fun. And who do we got on Sunday? On Sunday, we have Soul Knox with Carl Hikara, which if you're a fan of anything occult, bizarre, and esoteric, that show is for you. So check it out every Sunday. Hell yeah. And that is the horseman of the podcast apocalypse uh you should be supporting all these shows they're all wonderful podcasts uh i just want to do a quick plug of my own uh my band confusion has a discography out now on all digital platforms it is called storm the walls 1990 to 1994 uh it is out on cd and digital right now uh you can get the cd from Days Records, D-A-Z-E. Uh, digital is everywhere you get your digital from, you know, Apple, Spotify, etc. Bandcamp. Uh, the vinyl will be out a little later this summer, and you can order it from Generation Records, uh, generationrecords.com, or Days Records, daysstyle.com. Uh, so, yeah, pretty pretty happy about that, Mike. That's great news, man. I, uh, I need Thank to pick you. a copy of that up myself. Yes, yes. Although, you know, you do have an in. I could probably provide you with a copy at some point. <laughs> we'll talk off air, definitely. That's right. We'll talk off air. We'll talk off air. But uh, yeah, happy with the response so far, you know. Um, can't wait to have the vinyl in hand. It's good to have the CD in hand, but I'm looking forward to having the vinyl, uh, you know, the, the the fruits of a lot of hard work, Mike. Yeah, it's always a feeling when you have something that you worked hard on and when you finally actually hold that that uh you know that that product, you know, that that monument to the your efforts in your hand. You know? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh yeah, this was kind of a long time coming, so you know, re really stoked on it. Um what's going on with you, Mike? Anything? Anything? Dude, life is good, I have to say. Yeah. You know, if after a long period of things being kind of a drag in my life things are looking up i feel pretty good these days that's good to hear man always good to hear you know summer is here you know time to have a little fun in our lives right oh yeah you know yeah things and, are going well uh, uh you know smooth you know i can't think of anything to complain about you know i know that you guys uh sometimes think i'm a negative nancy you know i can see that <laughs> <laughs> but uh but uh, I gotta say, things are going pretty, pretty fucking good right now, and uh, you know, pretty happy. Things are going well. Um, looking forward to the coming months. The summertime is gonna be awesome, and yeah, that's uh, hopefully uh, the new, the new page that I'm gonna be on. So I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. Excellent, excellent. I gotta tell you though, you know what's not been very good for 2023? I, I, I was gonna say that's yeah, I, yeah, man. Um, uh, again, listeners, unless you could check us hard and shoot us uh, five great horror movies from 2023 on Instagram or email or Facebook, well, Mike and I are, are under the impression that this is not 2022, kids. And uh, unfortunately, tonight, we've got another 2023 movie that honestly did not live up to the expectation of the word on the street, huh, Michael? Yeah, but first, before we get into that, let, let's do with the new segment of our show, the uh, the Necrophone. 
voicemails. Yes, uh, we've got several calls. Thank you all, you know, the Maniac listeners, and I say that with love, of course, this being the Necromaniacs podcast, who have been calling in. And uh, yeah, we appreciate it, man. What's that number, Michael? That number is 908-913-0782. Once again, mm-hmm. 908-913-0782. It's insane. <laughs> and once again, if you don't want your call on the air, say so. If you say nothing, your call is going on the air. Right, Mike? That's the rules. That's correct. And in uh, one of our callers, I want to implore him to allow us to play his message because he always says some <laughs> cool stuff. And I'm, But I'm, I'm holding to that rule, man. Like we have that mm. code. He did not say in the beginning. He said he didn't want to play. So we have to summarize what he says and kind of address it. But that's okay. all good. But I do appreciate him every week. So Yes, exactly, Mundo. So uh, first up, we got Braden from Vancouver. Yo, Necromaniacs, this is Braden from Vancouver calling once again. Um, and this is less of a recommendation, more just a question to pose to you guys. But I've, um, down in the last few years, my, my taste in horror has really changed. And I used to, for a long time growing up, I was really terrified by the prospect of gore and torture and stuff. And like, eventually that, you know, I do material and stuff that just kind of wears off. But I've actually found that in terms of the stuff that really scares me or gets into my skin, a lot of it has been coming from movies that aren't necessarily strictly horror movies. And so I'm curious, I wanted to pose this question to you guys about certain certain films that aren't strictly classified horror, but that freak you out or get under your skin. Um, I specifically needed to deal with conspiracies I find really kind of just bother me in a good way. Like, I'm attracted to them, and I find them endlessly fascinating. And having considered it, I find the idea of a conspiracy very Lovecraftian, in that it's the implications of finding out information or discovering secret truths that is the real source of fear and, and terror. And kind of goes back to a story like Call of Cthulhu, that whole that whole story is a conspiracy and just going through documents and papers. Um, uh, certain uh, examples I would cite are the, the miniseries Chernobyl and also a, a really undersung film based on uh, a real conspiracy and real events called uh, Dark Waters um, that I found really actually quite haunting and pretty terrifying when you just consider, step back and consider the whole, the whole thing and what a lot of it implies. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I think the whole thing with conspiracy kind of touches on a lot of real aspects of our society and how fucked up it is. But anyway, this message is already probably way too long. But, uh, yeah, just wanted to ask you guys that. I find myself thinking about this a lot. And, um, yeah, uh, love the show as always. Always look forward to the Thursday. Thanks a lot, guys. He's talking interesting. He's talking about things that actually have like scared him that are not horror films. So have you run into anything like that, Mike, in, in movies? Like any movies that aren't straight up horror uh, films? That aren't horror. That aren't horror. See, like I'm sure there have been, but I think mentally I would still lump them in with horror or have them like as horror adjacent, you know? 
because sometimes there's this rush as of late to have some of the more artsy fartsy horror movies well that's not even a horror movie but it really is a horror movie you know but i would have to think on it a bit more for like say something out of a drama that might have fucked me up because i bet there is something i just can't think of it right now i got one Mm. deliverance ah okay that's a that's a fucking perfect example yeah perfect example um agree yeah that 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 definitely fucks you up that that fucks you up a bit you know um not horror i'm gonna put deliverance deliverance is a movie that we would cover because i think it's got a, a horrific element right you know maybe even more than one horrific element so but yeah technically it's like a drama though so yeah good good one very good one real quick about deliverance uh there's um a podcast that's not one of the horseman podcasts out there but mm-hmm. it's a podcast i listen to called the evolution of horror and, mm-hmm. and in their folk horror season they included deliverance as a folk horror uh-huh. i don't agree with that sentiment but it's interesting that they somehow roped it into that subgenre. interesting yeah i mean i don't get it but you know interesting that's the thing like it okay now unless i'm insane didn't we cover the canadian deliverance rituals we did yes we did that is more of a horror than deliverance is but that kind of takes deliverance which was five years prior to it and just puts a much darker spin on it and kind of turns it into a horror film yeah um well yeah listeners check out rituals if you uh, didn't check our podcast from a few years back it's a 1977 Canadian film. It is, yeah, it's the horror Canadian uh, deliverance. That's kind of the best, best, you know, summation in a sentence. No, that's a that's a pretty apt description, Mike. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Mundo. No, really good, good movie. Uh, it j- just just talking about deliverance automatically brings rituals to my head. So that's why. Next up, we have uh, my good friend Alex, who uh, plays in the uh, the Motorhead tribute band engine head along with some of, uh-huh. the, some of my band man, bandmates in tombs nice and he, yeah and he also plays in a great band called hot blood and this is what uh, alex has to say hey necromaniacs uh this is alex um had a kind of a different suggestion for you guys long time listener first time caller um i thought it might be cool if you guys uh mike jeff and mike did like top three favorite songs from a horror movie um Thought it might be kind of a cool little thing to just maybe mention an episode or two when you guys have all three of each other on. Um, at the moment, don't have any movie recommendations or anything. Um, but I have been watching that show from on MGM Plus, which is all right. I don't know if any of you guys have checked it out yet. All right, thanks. Take care, guys. Bye. So uh, that's an interesting take on it. You know, uh, horror horror music. You know, we have, we have to it's think. It's funny. <laughs> Some immediate ones that come to mind are some oddballs and and one of them is the theme from cannibal holocaust it's one of my absolute favorite like movie themes it's that really kind of beautiful music by riz ortolani i think you know what i'm talking about i do it's that you know it's just like one of the it's really pretty music for a very disgusting movie you know that that's kind of a a good uh good summation of that theme uh and then the the disco theme 
in House on the Edge of the Park. That's another one of my favorite jams. Also, oddly enough, from the same composer, Riz Ortolani. I like that jam. Do it to me once more. Good jam. Immediately what comes to mind for me is Pet Cemetery" by the Ramones. Ah, that's a good song. Yeah. That's a great song. It straight up is a good song, like aside from the connection to the movie. You know what I mean? And I know Alex has been uh, urging me to do the uh, Patreon Ramones tour diary that my old band Otis, we went out on tour with the Ramones back in the 90s. So uh, so that's wow. coming. That's coming, Alex. I, I'm putting my notes together. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's going to be on the Patreon for Everything Went Black. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's something I do on that. We talk about tour stories and things like that. But, yeah, that was... That song was being played as part of the set on that tour. So, yeah, it was pretty Oh, excited. interesting. Yeah. Very cool. What, did you guys change it up at all? You did it straight? What, did we? Yeah. Oh, no, no, uh, no. We, we didn't play that song. The Ramones played that song. Oh, I I thought you meant you guys covered the song. No, 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 sir. Oh. No, sir. The Ramones put, that was uh, in the 90s. And that yeah. was like a song that they were playing. And that was part of their set every night. You know, I would imagine it was a song that was proud, especially on the later tours, because that was like that was a big like, you know, hit for them. It was almost like it's almost like their metal rock hit in a way, you know. And you know, of course, on that the thing I noticed about them because you know, but prior to that, I didn't get a chance to see multiple Ramon shows in a row. You know, I'd see them here mm -hmm. and there, like whenever they play, played like the Academy or something like that, or they would play like some spot, you know. Mm -hmm. But they say the same exact thing every single night between all the songs. <laughs> it's like a, wow. funny, a funny thing happened to us on the way to the gig we stopped at the pet cemetery you know and it was like <laughs> you know I, okay well i don't think a lot of bands do that now i think in a certain time period saying the same thing was important saying the same thing yeah. like because slayer used to do that um kiss used to do that i think it's not a thing anymore but it wouldn't be funny if it was a thing again. Wouldn't that be like really funny? That would, that would be, be a, that would be really funny. But you know, hey, rest in peace, Joe Ramone, Johnny Ramone. Yeah. It was like of a course. Fucking literally honor, almost the whole band. Yeah. A fucking honor to have met those guys, you know, br <laughs> briefly, you know, just no I'm not joke I'm not pretending like we hung out with them or anything, but yeah. I did get a chance to meet Joey and Johnny. Oh, that's awesome. And and uh, you know, Marky and CJ were in the band. Uh -huh. CJ was the guy who hung out because he wasn't, you know, he was like the uh, the new guy. You know what I mean? At yeah, that point, yeah, younger than those guys too, significantly yeah. younger. And Marky was the guy who hung out also and would hang out side stage and watch us play every night. I was really excited mm. by that. Yeah, I've met him like a few times actually through through a mutual friend and always always a nice guy. You know. <laughs> It was awesome because they were like one of my favorite. They are one of my favorite bands, and they were probably mm. one of the first punk rock bands that I ever got into when I was a young kid. Wow, very cool story, man! Awesome. You know what? I think it is amazing that we've come to a point where we have more than I think we have. Yeah, so that's great. This is becoming like a segment on the show, which is awesome. You know, uh, we got uh, Dave the Canadian, and uh, he's an associate actually. Because um, he he's uh, the Razor Eater metal guy, and he's actually, oh okay yeah yeah he's mm -hmm. been a guest on uh, on Into the Necrosphere, and this is uh, this is what Dave the Canadian has to say. Let's hear it. What's up, Necromaniacs? Uh, this is Dave Barardi calling 
all the way out here in Canada, um, specifically Arnprior, Canada. Um, I've talked to some of you guys uh, via Instagram and whatnot. Uh, I'm a big fan of the, the podcast for a while. Um, we have mutual friends with, uh, you know, Jackie, Carl, Brandon. Um, I have the uh, the Razor Eater Metal profile. Um, Jackie and uh, Evan Hopper call me the Duke of Metal. Um, just got done listening to your uh, Burns Offerings podcast. That was a great episode. Um, I never made the connection, actually, in the past, uh, but I'm not sure if you guys are aware of the song Mrs. Allardyce by the band Deceased. Um, I believe the record is called Ghostly White, and I think that might even be actually the beginning song. So uh definitely recommend you guys checking that out if you haven't heard that yet. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to call in, say I uh, really enjoy everything that you guys do. Uh, big fan of the uh, the Horseman. Um, I've been on Jackie's podcast before. I've been on with Carl as well. Um, and yeah, just wanted to send a big shout out, big cheers to you guys. Uh, look forward to more more episodes, more recommendations. Um, you guys are keeping me in check with uh, brushing up on my horror homework. Um, and yeah, just wanted to say thanks for all you do. And uh, cheers. I hope you guys have a great uh, great week. Looking forward to next week's episode. Cheers. Bye. And like I said, we got we got Mike from uh, from PA, and he mm-hmm. checked out a bunch of cool stuff. Frankenstein eighty, which I have not seen. Chopper. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Chopper is awesome. I mean, horror adjacent to a degree. Yeah. Now I'm intrigued about uh, Poison for the Fairies. After what Mike had to say about it, he was um, kind of lukewarm about it. Mm. And, uh, I still want to see yeah. Yeah, it's something I want to check out, and you know, we we should. It's been recommended to us, and it might be something we consider since there's a lot of chatter about it. And um, yeah, copy that on uh, "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Of course, that was remade uh, in '09 or 2010 or something like that too. Yeah, I'm I'm completely forgetting the remake, but I the original is amazing, and uh, that's a definite maybe for uh, a Necro episode. I I've seen it. I love it. Yeah. So, Mike, do me a favor. Next time when you call in, let me know. I would love to play your uh, your 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 voicemails because they're cool and it's <laughs> yeah, uh, cool. a lot of a lot of you know you have good stuff to say, and I want everyone else to hear it. I don't want it just to be filtered through <laughs> you know, what me and Mike say. So, uh, so yeah, let us know. I encourage, <laughs> I encourage you to allow us to play your voicemails because I think they're awesome. Oh, and by the way, apologies for having the the episode up late last week correct you know moving has been uh, mm-hmm. a full-time thing for me right now but uh yeah yeah you know that went up a little bit late i apologize it won't happen again and uh you know thanks for noticing by the way indeed <laughs> all right so onward on to tonight's feature so <laughs> yes uh as i was lamenting um 2023 has not really been the stellar year so far. It is June. That 2022 was by June. Um, And tonight's film, I think, is just a part of the sad story that uh, makes that true. Uh, Tonight's film is Brooklyn 45 by uh, horror director Ted Gagan. And before we started, we were kind of running down uh, to each other, all, all the films 
that uh, Mr. Gagan has done, some of which uh, I have seen and Mike has seen. Um, I mean, he is, which is pretty cool, worked pretty much in nothing but horror, actually, for nearly 20 years, Mike. So that's that's commendable, right? Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, it, it, his resume goes back to 2001. I mean, it's, it's quite a while ago. Uh, he directed Hatchet 3. What, are you a, are you into the Hatchet franchise? Uh, Victor, is that Victor Crowley or what the hell the guy's name is? Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. I, I saw the first one, but I haven't seen the third one. So, yeah. It, it's, now, apparently the third one is better than the second one. Uh, the third one has Danielle Harris in it. So, that's that makes me want to check it out. And Caroline Williams from uh, Texas, too. So, you know. Uh, I, I definitely need to check it out. Kane Hodder is also in it as well, of course. Right. Yeah, I knew that. Um, yeah, I want to see Hatchet 3. He did a segment in ABC's of Death 2, which I've seen. He did uh, the 2015 film, We Are Still Here, with the lovely Barbara Crampton, which I enjoyed. Did you, did you, yes. did you see? Yes. I, I, did we cover that? We didn't cover that, but I, not to my knowledge, but hmm. <laughs> I, I do not believe we covered it, but I did like that movie. I like that too. That was from 2015. I think that might have even been on a, a, a list of sorts of one of the better films of, or best films of 2015, actually. Um, another film of his I've seen is The Ranger from 2018, which was good, kind of like a punk horror film, which uh, I would potentially watch again uh, in the hopes of covering on the show. And then he did a movie in 2019 that I did not really like at all called Satanic Panic, Mike. What about you? I wasn't into that one either. Um, yeah. It seemed like the kind of thing I would like, but I wasn't. Right, yeah. exactly. Definitely um, not like I it. Just was, I just kind of thought it was a mess, honestly. Um, had an interesting setting in a town called Mill Basin, which uh, if you are a New Yorker or a Brooklynite, you know is a little city in Brooklyn, in South Brooklyn, Mill Basin, which I thought was interesting. Uh, which brings us to tonight's film, which was his next film, Brooklyn 45, set in good old Brooklyn in 1945, and particularly in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So uh, Mr. Gage is a fan of, of New York City, huh? Fan of New York, it seems like. Well, what's uh, significant about Park Slope is that was formerly where the Brooklyn Monster Factory was located, too. That is right. Uh, so, folks, a little tidbit. Mike and I met in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So how about that? Yeah. Also, the um, very first episode of Everything Went Black was uh, was recorded in Park Slope, Brooklyn, after watching the Serbian film. In uh, yes, we watched Serbian film in Bay Ridge, <laughs> and then recorded in Park Slope. So you're getting a lot of Brooklyn lore, folks. This is called Brooklyn lore, L O R E, uh, Brooklyn horror lore. Um, so yeah, we have a new film, Brooklyn 45. It is currently on Shudder. Uh, it hit Shudder literally just weeks ago on June 9th, 2023. Uh, before that, it was at South by Southwest on March 12th, 2023. It is 92 minutes long, written and directed by Ted Gagan. Uh, it stars Anne Ramsey, an actress I recognize. You recognize her? She looks familiar, but I can't place where I see, I've known, I know her from though. Oh, she's in uh, a league of her, a league of their own from uh, in '92. I think she was like one of the main characters in a League of Their Own, actually. Uh, let's see, Planet of the Apes, the oh. the 2001 Planet of okay. the Apes. Uh, let's see, 
a lot of indie stuff, but one of her biggest films is League of Their Own. I remember her from League of Their Own, and she's in Critters Four. Mike, how about that? So she's been <laughs> she's been around definitely. She's okay. been around. Yes, that that's how she looks so familiar. Uh, she plays Marla Sheridan. We have Ron E. Rains as Bob Sheridan, her husband. Uh, Jeremy Holm as Archibald Stanton. Our buddy, Larry Fessenden, as Lieutenant Colonel Clive Hockstatter. Ezra Buzzington as Paul DeFranco, Major Paul DeFranco. And Christina Klebe as Hildegard Bauman. Um, okay, I need to look up where she's from because I believe... What is she from? Well, she's in Tales of Halloween, Mike. Okay. Uh, right. Detective McNally. But hold on. Yeah, she's in Hellboy. She's in the 2019 Hellboy. But wasn't she? I don't know. I thought she was in something else that I really liked, but I'd have to check it out again because she looks familiar and that name is very familiar. But maybe it's the Hellboy and the uh, Tales of Halloween, which ties into Terrifier, of course, right? That's um, cool. yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's your cast. Um, although it takes place in Park Slope, Brooklyn, it was filmed in Chicago, which I have to say that, well, the exteriors, were, I believe, were filmed in Chicago. Uh, kind of does look like Brooklyn, though, Mike. What did you think? It does. However, Park Slope is on, a, as you would imagine, a, a slope. It's on a hill. So some of that right. some of that terrain looked pretty flat to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> some of the Park Slope streets are, are definitely <clears throat> a little slanted. I'm trying <laughs> not to choke to death on a live podcast. Anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. It's allergy season. I'm going to start talking like uh, uh, RFK Jr. <laughs> excuse me. Hold on. I'm going to take some water, Mike. Talk right. to the kids, Mike. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in addition to uh, me and Mike meeting there, the first episode of Everything Went Black <laughs> recorded yes. in Park Slope. I actually lived in two different addresses in Park Slope over the last uh, couple of decades. So there you go. And I did as well, uh, from 2002 to 2006. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. This is RFK Jr. I am going to be the co-host of tonight's uh, Necromaniacs episode. Uh, don't mind me. I'll be coming in and out with uh, Mike Scandano's <clears throat> voice. Anyway, hopefully you appreciate that humor. So, yeah, this movie's got a lot of, uh, lot of positive buzz on it. But Mike and I didn't enjoy it very much, unfortunately. Yeah, let me. I, I just want to start at some of the things I did like about it, though. I think. Sure. Uh, well, the first, first of all, the draw for me was Larry Fessenden. Yeah. You know, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll watch anything that dude is involved with. He is a independent film icon, actor, mm -hmm. writer, director. Jack of all trades, like one of the, one of the in my in my opinion, one of the legends in independent filmmaking. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's he's done a lot in horror and independent film, mainly horror. Um, he's a guy whose presence is is a, a welcome sight in a film. I feel like you know. And then the movies that he does are always, if they're not great, they're always pretty damn good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, I think he's like a like a real kind of like workman uh, of the genre. You know. And he's also a native of New York City, I believe, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's just got a good vibe about him, you know? Um, yeah, New York City native. That's right. He is 60 years old, folks. Turned 60 this year. How about that? But he's been literally working since the very late 70s. Um, 
his one of the last films he did we uh we covered back in i was it 2021 or 2022 jacob's wife right yes yeah with, with barbara crampton too yes with of course barbara crampton another person again if she's in it it's a little better just because she's in it right 100 percent agree on that but i'm here to say larry does not save this movie uh, that's it I, I i gotta say it i don't know man i don't know Maybe it's because he didn't write this one. Maybe it's because he's maybe just the actor in this one. No, who knows? Yeah, I mean, he was definitely act just an actor in this film, and um, I mean, and he was he was only in really a few scenes if you think about it. That is true. Uh, other things to like about this movie, uh, we both agree that we like the Brooklyn setting, you know, um, the Park Slope setting. I think, it, it, again, it passes for what it's supposed to be, and I think it, it kind of looks like it's 1945, right, for an indie movie? Yeah, it is an atmosphere. Um, the thing I liked about it was how it was very much almost like a play. Like, it takes place primarily in one room and uh, one location. And that in and of itself I find interesting. Uh, I think it adds to the sort of claustrophobia of the movie and that was a positive for me and there was a lot of dialogue and yeah. know, any of you guys that have listened to the show know that I like films that are very talky, you know, so that those are positives for me. Okay. Yeah. Our, uh, our quality control uh, expert, Rennie also mentioned the whole kind of play vibe and I, I'm I'm of the mind to think this would have fared better on some kind of stage or off, off Broadway or, uh, you know, but uh, I guess, you know, it's a movie. It's not a play. Um, but the overall story, I think, kind of might have loaned itself to a play if they would have obviously taken away some of the more fantastical elements, perhaps. But uh, who knows? Um, things I, I didn't like about it. It takes place December 27th of 1945 in Brooklyn. And it's a bunch of World War II vets. World War II ended, uh, let's see. I think the springtime of 1945. Yeah, it was like the same year as the film was supposed to be yes. taking place. You know. Yeah, it's it's just months after the war is officially over. Okay. Um. Yeah, Ted Gagan decided to test this movie with people in their 50s and 60s. Yeah, um, the youngest guy was uh, was probably Archie, who was probably late yes, late who 40s. <laughs> late 40s. Okay. Now. My grandfather's a World War II vet and three great uncles, all four of them World War II vets. When all four of them came home from World War II, they were in their mid to late 20s. Okay? Yeah, that's right. The average age, the average age of a World War II soldier was 26, Mike Hill. Did my research. Okay? Um, everyone in this movie is old. Okay? <laughs> so yes. I thought it was an odd decision to have everybody all five six main characters with the exception of christina clay the young woman which we'll get to be old people um because in reality the there wouldn't be people this old coming home from world war ii it just it just wasn't really that wasn't what was happening um, it almost sure. it almost would have made sense if like it happened like the, it was taking place like a decade or two after the fact you know yeah but the seventies, yeah, right, and and but but then again, some of the key elements to that wouldn't have made any sense. You know what I mean? Mm. 
you know, like for example, uh, the character uh, Archie was, uh, you know, he was in the news because there was um, some, uh, you know, war, some atrocities that he was, um, you know, had been accused of. Right, right. And it wouldn't have held up like twenty years later. You know what I mean? It would have, that, that's something that would have had to have been addressed, like right in the aftermath of world of the war. You know. Correct. Unless he wasn't hiding, actually. Right. Which, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, a bunch of Nazis that got out of World War II did go into hiding, and many of them lived to be old men and, you know, in, in, in different countries throughout the world, and apparently some in America. So that, but that's, again, that makes it a different kind of movie, but that could have been an interesting aspect of the movie, but uh, they didn't really go that route. But yeah, everyone's old which is weird for new World War II vets, which I thought was interesting. Okay. Another interesting thing is uh, Anne, Anne Ramsey's character, right? Uh, she plays Marla Sheridan, is a high-ranking, basically, basically interrogator uh, in the, the U.S. Army. Well, unfortunately, women were not high-ranking to be interrogating and torturing prisoners back in World War II. That is just something that simply, again, was just not happening. Um, perhaps the director just, you know, wanted to make those changes to suit his own story, right? I mean, you know? I, I, I mean, that's just the way it is, man. You know, and we didn't make yeah. it up. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're just reporting on the, <laughs> hey, the situation. You can his, make up whatever he wants. Yeah. Like, it, you it, know, it's 60 history. something's coming off from World War II. And right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and women torturing uh, prisoners. And that's two things that were just simply not happening in World War II. Um, now, I don't know. The other thing is. They, they have all gathered at um, Larry Fesden's home, right, for this kind of, I guess, it's not New Year's Eve, it's December 27th, it's kind of like a post-holiday get-together, right? And Larry Fesden's wife has recently uh, killed herself, correct? That's right, yes. And uh, apparently it was because there was like a German, she felt that there was a German Nazi spy for Hitler living next door, and no one would believe her. Again, <laughs> that's some weird shit. <laughs> no, like, I mean, like, uh, I find that hard. I mean, that that's the thing. It just seems like I mean, I I, I recently heard an interview with the filmmaker and the writer, and I I don't I, I I hate to say it because he seemed to be very um, genuine about his writing for this, but it, mm -hmm. the, the plot just doesn't make any fucking sense to me, man. It's filled with stretches, like yeah. big ass stretches, honestly. Um, so Hawk Larry Fesden invites them all over for like a, a, a basically what, what they don't know is a, a seance of sorts, right? Right. Uh, to 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 speak to his deceased wife. Um, I guess it, it's worth noting that you know a, a little bit of the backstory about every one of them. Like I said, Marla was like an interrogator in the army and she has a husband bob played by rob reigns who's a, a meek pentagon clerk he's also very old okay yeah. um and they all look down on him because he didn't see any battle but apparently he, he won marla's heart for not being brash and violent like the other men that's like, i don't know that's a again well odd. i mean just the whole that whole relationship that whole thing wouldn't exist in 1945 like you were saying no. you know like there were women yeah. that served but not 
as in that capacity in World War II. And I know so, I'm not, we're not trying to be sexist or anything like that. No. This is just the way it was, you know? It's not sexist. It's, it's what was actually happening. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's, well, again, a little strange, a little strange. Um, and then, uh, let's see, who, who are the other guests at the party? Well, we had, uh, you know, uh, DeFranco, you know. Um, yeah, Paul DeFranco, played by Ezra Buzzington, who, again, looks about 65 years old. Yeah, yeah he's in uniform the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Archie, Archibald Stanton, who is the a purported war criminal who's under investigation for doing atrocities during uh, World War II. But you, he, you can tell his character in some ways, though a little bit underwritten, and there's a lot of stuff that didn't make sense about him, um, was one of the more interesting characters because he was kind of uh, conflicted. Like he was following orders. Right. You know, he killed a bunch of kids, you know, which kind of goes back to like, you know, the war atrocity, you know, murder versus killing for your country, that sort of thing. You know, yeah, it, they actually, he's the only character with meat on the bones, right? I mean, honestly, like he's like the only one they kind of gave a little, little more to. And also on top of it, he is an out gay man in the military, uh, which again, makes his character very interesting, very out of the norm for 1945. Uh, you know, again, at least as an out man in 1945, mil- an out military man, which was rather unheard of for well, 1945. I mean, it, it just now, just in the last like <laughs> couple of, couple of, you know, decades, just now it's actually big even accepted at all in the military yes and once again we're not homophobic that's just how that is that's that's just the way it is over there maybe now it's fine but like it's straight up you couldn't be gay and be in the military in 1940s in world war ii no you literally could not it was like there was like rules and laws against it so that was again interesting choice by the writer director but again, at least he gave at least he gave that character something more than pretty much everyone else. Would you agree? Right, and also I get you know the the, the writer director being gay himself would you know wanted to address some of those things. But I think it just would have been more interesting if his his friends knew he was gay, and he was out with them, and they were cool with him and accepted him. You know, but he was still not out. In the general sense, you know what I mean. That would have right. been a more. No, they, they, well, here's the funny thing: is they knew, they no, they knew, but they, they were giving him shit for it. Except for, of course, what do you call it? Uh, uh, Anne Ramsey and the husband, I think, were the only two who didn't give him shit for it, actually. And Larry Fresden, I don't think, said anything about it. But I believe the two other guys were being asked, you know, assholes about right. it. Right, you know, but that right. would have been something that would have been played very, very close to his chest. You know what I mean? That wouldn't have been like, right, right. You know, and you know, that's just. It would have been an interesting conflict, but I just don't think it was handled well in the in the writing. You know. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interest. I mean, again, some some swings and misses, you know, and some swings and hits, you know. Um. So, again, Larry Fresden's character Hawk, refer to him as Hawk. Uh, you know, talks a bit about what about the wife and the suicide, and you know. Uh, no one would believe her that she was accusing a neighbor as being a spy for Hitler and that he regrets that he didn't believe her. And he's all he's lost faith in organized religion. And now he's just been studying spiritualism 
So he gathers his buddies there to have a seance attempt to reach his wife via the seance, right? Yeah. Um, and they do kind of reach her. There's like, you know, the typical candles lighting on and off and closets banging and radio comes on and there's like this, you know, spectrum and it's a little hokey, you know. And it looks like, you know, uh, her arm comes through and, you know, it's like this kind of ghostly thing. Um, and, and then I guess the most shocking moment of the movie now comes after that seance is over. Uh, Hot just goes and kills himself uh, using a pistol, which is under the table. That was pretty surprising, I have to say. Yeah, you know, but that that stuff is interesting. Like that storyline that, you know. It's almost like, you know, like in, you know how like compelling Martyrs was? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You had an opportunity here to make something really compelling about looking into the beyond and having some clue that there is something beyond the veil of life and death, you know? And, and they could have explored that. They could have had this thing build up to that moment, except it happened like in the first like 15 minutes of the movie. Yes, and then basically that's kind of not what the movie's about. No, and, and that's the thing, man. Like, I, part of me is like, when I when I was just starting to understand what his motivations were, I was like, oh, this this could be interesting. It'd be cool. It could be like a, a film with like a build up to some climax. And it and when he shot himself in the head, I was like, well, that's the whole that this movie could be a short, you know that that was what I was interested in, you know. Right. And then it just goes into it this gets really weird. I yeah, this this whole tangent. It's clunky. It gets very clunky um, after that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The minute he kills himself, listeners, by the way, sorry about the no spoiler alert. We're spoiling this 2023 film. Uh, If you want to see the movie, you should probably wait till you see it and then listen to the episode. Yeah. You guys Um, should know better by now. They're like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's true. true. Um, The moment that happens, one of the closet doors in the room where they're all in just bursts open and a woman, blonde young woman falls out. You know, it's actress, Christina Klaib. She is bound and gagged and, and breaks free from her restraints. And it turns out that she is the German neighbor uh, who lived next door to the, near the Hawk family, uh, who, who was apparently drugged and kidnapped the night before. And it, it was her and her family that the wife had been spying on. Um, when that happened and that she revealed herself, I was just like, Oh boy, this movie has gone down. This, this movie has taken a weird turn. Like, you know, what did you think? Like, after that reveal? Well, yeah, and then it gets really heavy handed after that, I feel. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it, it's paralleled to modern society with people othering di- people that are different, you know? Yes. Yeah. It really, like, honestly, it makes you, like, the way, like, they treat Germans in this movie is, like, I don't know, man. I mean, I. I I wasn't alive in 1945. I mean, you know, I don't think uh, many of our listeners probably were. Um, I guess Germans were apparently treated horrifically in Brooklyn in 1945. But I don't know how true that is, Mike. I well, don't know. I thought it was a little much. I, I think it is kind of true because, uh, you know, I have older family members that served in World War II and, um, mm-hmm. and Germans and Japanese. Were, were yeah, treated. and they kind of came home hating Germans and Japanese, so I guess you're right. Yeah. But I do believe there were quite a few Germans who emigrated before the war 
during the war and after the war. Wouldn't you agree? Well, that, mean, that, was, that was what, uh, you know, in this film, they're framing up um, Hildegard as yeah. someone whose family has been in the country prior to World War II. She said since 31, I believe she kept saying, we came here in 1931, blah, blah, yeah. blah, so, um, which is pre-World War II uh, and pre the rise of the Nazis. Um, so there were definitely Germans in New York and in America, uh, in, I would say, in that time frame. But yeah, they use it as a device to kind of, you know, I guess address racism, address the other address bigotry from people not from your land right that's that's what that's what they were doing yeah and it was done like very heavy-handedly i thought you know and, and it didn't really mm. it, it was like there was too many things going on here that didn't make sense culturally for the time like like you were saying okay yeah i mean again i definitely think there was german hatred and, and japanese hatred and probably even italian hatred okay uh, post World War II in in good old Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just it, the movie got it get it got a little more kind of all over the place because there's that whole ghost specter thing that had happened, and now it turns into an interrogation slash racism angle because Anne Ramsey's character Marla Sheridan starts dusting off her, you know, enemy interrogation skills and uses like this long kind of hat pin. To get like to hold, you know, uh, what's her name, Hildy? Yeah, Hildegard. Hildegard's hand, and she just asks her questions over and over again, like the same series of questions, and starts kind of driving the pin underneath her nail until she is satisfied with her answer. And she's asking her if she's a Nazi and what year she came here and what are her children's name and what's her husband's name. And she asks those same questions over and over again. And of course, she replies no and blah blah blah. It's kind of a really intense, fucked up scene. Actually, I think it's one of the best scenes in the movie, actually, to be completely honest. But I just found it to be a bizarre scene. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there was some real tension there. And I think even, um, you know, she says to her, she's like, I believe you, you know, but we just got to, you know, make a right. show. Right, when all's said and done, mm-hmm. when all said and done, Marla uh, goes, nope, she's not a Nazi. I believe her. But uh, the other fellow soldiers they don't believe marla like they they want to believe that she's a nazi spy and it just you know i don't know get gets kind of wild right yeah you know and 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 uh there's an implication that um hawk's wife was kind of going off the deep end but they don't really beefed up that storyline like it's just kind of like it's like a couple of lines that she was overreacting and you know having some emotional issues and that's why she thought hildegard was you know was was a spy like they don't really give you any motivation to, for her to to give you any indication that why she thought that you know okay exactly and then it gets back to the fantastical because uh hawk larry fesden gets kind of repossessed bashing his head against the table demanding that they kill hildegard and that she was a nazi and it gets kind of like, you know, Evil Dead 2-ish, right, uh, at, at that point. Um, and then, you know, uh, the ghost of S- the Susan kind of uh, appears and it accuses Hildegard of killing her and staging it to look like a suicide. So honestly, it gets very muddled. It's like, but well, wait a minute. What if she's lying, Christina Clay, uh, Hildegard, and she was really a Nazi spy? And I will say this. It leaves you... 
without an answer, right? Yeah, you never know who's telling the truth if Hildy's uh, you know innocent or not. You know, it's just nothing gets tied up really at all. It does that does not get tied up at all. Um, you know, again, there's like. Uh, a struggle and there, you know, like I said, the ghost reappears and he's bashing his head against the table, demanding that they kill her. And, um, until he basically kind of turns into like a, a pulpy mess. Uh, and then Bob, who is, uh, Marla's wife grabs the gun, uh, from Hawk and, and he fires at him. He blows off two of his fingers. And then he, he, he like, you know, Shoots him in the head and kills him. Like Bob, the mild-mannered Bob, the <laughs> husband of Anne Ramsey's character, uh, turns into like an arch criminal, right? And that's kind of unbelievable too. I mean, the dude has never shot anyone before. He's never, not a violent guy. And out of the blue, he murders two people. <laughs> yes. And before that, uh, they get, they as we had said earlier, they delve deeper a bit into Jeremy Holmes' Archibald character, where we kind of do learn that he did kill all those kids, but he did it on orders, right? Yeah, he was like, just executing he, his orders, yeah. Right, he, he, he is basically guilty of the thing that we don't know he's guilty of earlier in the film. It's kind of, a, it, it basically, it comes out of him that, yeah, he did kill all those kids. He blew up this thing that was filled with German school children who were innocent, um, but he did it because that's what he was supposed to do, and he had, he didn't know they were in there or whatever, yada yada yada. But like I said, he's kind of the only character that has depth, right? He does, and and he's definitely one of the more interesting yeah. characters. But there's just too many threads in this movie. Yes, you know, there's too many it things going on, and nothing really gets resolved. The thing that the movie should have been should have been about, it, like, happens in the first quarter of the film. You know. Yeah, and again, the, the Bob character just grabbing the gun, killing one of his friends, mind you, shooting them in the head, okay, because he demanded that they kill the, is she or is she not a Nazi girl, was wild. Well, then Bob does something even wilder and shoots and kills Hildy. Now, again, I, I, I was pretty shocked by that, weren't you? I was shocked, but then again, I was like, why? Like, what? Why? What yes. did he have to gain by do doing that? that? I mean, I know that they were supposed, you know, the, the ghost was saying that we have to, you know, kill her in, in order to get out of the room. But it's like, yeah, I don't know how convinced everyone was about that with that being the right thing to do. And then we don't never really establish if she's Ill, innocent or guilty. And we left something out. The, the ghost of Hawk and his wife were basically, no one could leave the room until this woman who they accused of being a Nazi was killed who we had already kind of established was telling the truth so it just again messy and clunky are the two words no exactly and and that's kind of like what what at the end of the movie i was like you know what what was this all about really you know what i mean what was this movie about <laughs> like was it just a vehicle to comment on racism and you know xenophobia and trust hmm. and that kind of thing or was it something that was supposed to be entertaining and supernatural, you know? Exactly. Now, after mild manner, Bob kills one of his friends and kills what might've been an innocent woman just so that they can leave the room. They leave the room. Okay. Bob Marler and Archie are outside on the Brooklyn street. And Archie informs them that he is going to turn himself in for what he's done. Uh, Archie then asks Bob if he is going to do the same. And he says he will. 
And it ends with Marla and Bob, the husband and wife, getting into their car, breaking down, crying, and the movie is over. I, I don't know. I just, again, exactly what you said. I don't know what the hell they were trying to say here. Like, it's it, there's like a few things going on. There's this racism, xenophobic angle, this fear of the other, right? Mm -hmm, right. Then there's this fantastical, supernatural, ghosty element. And I don't think that was a good mix. I just don't. I don't know. No, I, definitely I don't think it was a good mix. Or at least it wasn't done. It wasn't mixed well. I, I just, I don't know. Um, and, and the setting... You kind of could have done a movie like this and not have it been sixty-five-year-old World War II vets, don't you agree? Like well, I, I, I don't, you know. It it would have made sense for them not to be that. It would have been, you know, they should have had <laughs> dude people that were like thirty years old, maybe, you know, like playing these roles, you know. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I don't understand. Um, and also, it, it would have been good to have Archibald Archie is gay, but it being more like of a conflict, you know, to, to show that could have been, I mean, if they wanted to make a cultural statement about, you know, uh, you know, racism or, or bias or things like that, that was an opportunity really right there to, to have a complex, a nice complex character, you know, um, with, with a, you know, a, a conflict like that. And they could have played that up and used that as like more of a vehicle to talk about the different complexities of those feelings. But no, mm. it was like, okay, his friends knew he was gay. One, two, three, four, done. You know, no real, there was never any realistic thing going on with that. And that's that's kind of like what I was, it would have been an opportunity to really explore that, I think, in the film, if you're going to look at the cultural elements of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, some of the reviews, I, I, I don't know, I just, I don't really agree with. Uh, Bloody Disgusting. Uh, said the cast was tremendous and Screen Anarchy called it a stunning film to win over fans who go in with open minds. Uh, Wall Street Journal, extraordinary. Uh, Anne Ramsey's performance was extraordinary. Remarkable natural acting under unnatural conditions. That's. It sounds like the review that someone who's seen four movies would write. I. I, I really like. Okay. Uh, Los Angeles Times review: Ted Geegan packs in quality, packs in plenty of plot, and gives an excellent cast some flavorful dialogue and rich characters to play. I think everyone but one character was completely underplayed. Actually, yeah. um, maybe two characters. Christina Klebe's character was actually pretty good, and they did give her some meat on the bones with her maybe being a Nazi, perhaps not. We will never know. That question is left unanswered. Um, Jeanette Katsoulis of the New York Times called it overlong and repetitive, but it was an ambitious period piece uh, given an appropriately vintage look by cinematographer Robert Patrick Stern. We did say that it looked pretty good and that it looked fairly authentic to the time. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Cast convincingly turning, convincingly turning unappealing characters into broken people trying to move on from a war that keeps pulling them back in. I don't think that was played up enough, actually. What about you? No, that you never really, um, with the exception of Archie, you never with felt. With the exception of Archie, correct. You, you never correct. felt any conflict or trauma or any of these things or or anxiety. Everyone seemed. Well, I mean, you know, except of course for Pheasanton's character for Hawk. I mean, the guy, you know, maybe, maybe he was someone you can see the trauma and conflict with. But uh, yeah, yeah. everything was pretty generic, I thought, as far as that goes. 
See, that's the thing. We've got several questions unanswered, which I'm assuming is on purpose, but to me, it was frustrating. Um, you know, like, you, you, you do not know if uh, Hildegard even was married with kids and had a family. Like, is that whole thing like a ruse? Like, you know what I'm saying? Was she just straight, like a Nazi spy that had been living there? Like, it's just, it's like a loose thing. Was it the fact that Hawk and his wife were just two post-World War II crazy people? Right, right? I mean, was one telling the truth and one not telling the truth? Lots and lots of loose ends. And Bob just turning into an arch murderer <laughs> was a big stretch, okay? Just to get out of the room? Really? Really? Also, um, if, if Hildegard was, was actually a, a, a spy, like what, what kind of intel is she going to get in, in that neighborhood? You know what I mean? What valuable intel is she going to get? Yeah, she, the war is over. She's been there for, first of all, the war is over, okay? <laughs> yeah, the war is over, first yeah. First of all, she's... She's been there for like years, apparently. Yeah, so yeah. it doesn't make it's like to me, I feel like she probably was telling the truth. And that Hawk and his wife were fucking broken crazy people from 1945. Okay, that this is me making it up. Okay. She was telling the truth. She was not a Nazi. Hawk and his wife were broken crazy people from 1945. And essentially they were all broken because the most normal guy killed two people. So if if that's if I am correct on those points, then it was then it was kind of a better movie than uh, you you know we initially thought. But I don't know. Am I right? I think that the whole uh, you know afterlife thing should have been like the focus of the film, and all this other stuff should have been more like incidental color to be added hmm. to the movie. You know what I mean? Like like it's a, you know we're, it's it's a horror movie. You know I mean yeah it's so. I'm not saying, you know, obviously I like when films are complicated and they add layers of characterization and they make statements about things. That's that's all part of the, the trip. You know, I like that. But it should have focused on, the, it's a horror film. It's on Shudder. They should have focused on the supernatural element. That should have been the climax of the film. And all this other backstory stuff should have been like filler. You know, it should have been like a, a thing to, to beef up the characters and to add add dimensions to the characters you know it almost felt like they couldn't decide do we want it to be a supernatural horror or do we want to have all the social commentary on it you know and they 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 were in conflict with each other you know what i'm trying to say no yeah honestly i i was very conflicted as to what i was going to score this um however i it it, it pains me to say i've given it a 2.5 i don't think you need to see this movie um I, I'm a little perplexed as to just how much positivity it's been getting. I think it just gets there for almost a three that you need to see it because three is you need to see it and it's pretty good and worth seeing. I I, I, I landed on a 2.5 because ultimately I will just forget about this movie. Honestly, I just, I don't know. I don't think it was, it was a great film. You know, I also or, gave it a 2.5, except I was veering more towards a two. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like, I think that if <laughs> you should see it just to give Shudder the channel, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. some, some props. But if this was out in the wild and it wasn't mm. on a plat, one of my favorite platforms on the, you know, on the streaming world, then I would say just, just go right past this movie. You know what I mean? 
And I got to say, Shutter, you have me nervous. This is you're owing two for me for this. Year. You're really owing two for me for this year, uh, for for movies that, you know, some people said were so great. Um, and I'm really hoping that the, the next one we choose. Now I have to say, listeners, when it comes to the the, the Shutter originals or the Shutter exclusives, we we pick them with not a lot of pre, you know, like. We almost, I wouldn't say we picked them at random, random, but we're picking them somewhat blindly in that we want to give them a chance, right? Yeah, and this one came to mind because I knew it, it took place in New York, in Brooklyn specifically. Yeah, and it had, had a lot. Yeah, Larry, Larry Fessenden. Larry Fessenden was in it. I love him. So, like on paper, Mike and I were very excited about this movie, okay? And then I watched it and I was like, fuck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like. Oof! I was like, man, this is this is really not that good. Um, but I, I'm hoping that the, the next Shutter one we pick again, which is either a Shutter original or a Shutter exclusive, uh, delivers the goods. And what's really funny is that the movie that Mike, Jeff, and I unanimously love for 2023, which is Skinamarink, is a movie that a lot of people hate. So it's it's this has been a very strange year, no? That, a lot of people like it though too that's the thing it's like a very divisive film and i can understand both ends of the spectrum with skinner to be honest yeah and like look i'm i get the love for evil dead rise i get it i totally get it i also think a lot of people just will love anything with the words evil dead in it let's be completely honest okay just like if it has halloween in the word and in the title it's it's just gonna do what it's gonna do but I wanted that to be a little better too. Although I think I might have liked it more than both Jeff and Mike, or maybe on the same page as Mike. Um, I know Rennie didn't like it, um, <laughs> but again, I think I'm are my expectations too high. Should I lower my expectations, Michael? No, 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 no. Because no. remember, last year we had what Josiah saw. We had a bunch of great films last year. You know, yeah, that, that and were then Shutter exclusives. Had one- we even had the spillovers at the very beginning of the year for the, the other, like the movies that we we missed. It was like there was just so much that we 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 like had to play catch up, you know. And everything was pretty fucking good. Like there was the, I didn't give anything a two last year no. or two point five. I mean, we had nothing. I nothing. Yeah, we had you know my heart won't beat until you tell it to. We had films like yeah. that. You know that that was. That we need more of that, you know what I mean. We need more. We need a few more of the those types of films to come our way before the end of the year, and just to give us like, I mean, there, you know, there's there's definitely stuff out there for sure. Like I thought, you know, like like uh, Infinity Pool. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, know, I need to get on Infinity Pool. Yeah, Skinner, gotta get on that. For, you know, for me and you, Skinner Marink and Jeff. Jeff enjoyed right. Skinner mm-hmm. Rink. and um, you know, there's that. There's something in the dirt. You know that that's you know the uh, the, the Benson and Moorhead film. Like that's right. those are those are solid, man. But there, we need more of that. And there hasn't been any really killer entries in in like a larger studio production. You know what I mean? There hasn't been like something a little bit more mainstream that's been interesting, really. Yeah, I mean, look, it's late June. I still think about Skimmering. How about that, Mike? I still yeah. think about it. It's yeah, still, still popping in my head. You that's know? Right. Yeah. Um, Brooklyn Forty Five. I I may not think about it ever again, except for when more people see it and they talk about how great it was and I'll just fight back my urge to, you know, smash my computer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but other than that, yeah, look, 
you know, our opinions are our opinions. Um, some of the listeners may agree, some may disagree, but, um, you know, Ted Gagan is a, a, you know, solid horror filmmaker. I actually want to go back and, and check out some of the films of his I've missed actually. And, uh, yeah, Ranger may make its way onto the show. That's actually a pretty damn cool movie. It's got like this punk angle to it. Um, and I know, uh, someone who was a producer on it, actually, she's a, a social media friend. So, you know, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and you know, I've met her in real life too, but I, I generally, I met her through like Facebook years ago, but, um, you know, not everything's going to be great. That's what the, that's what old Mikey's here to say. Right. I think uh, the, my friends in the Adams family have a new film coming out. I don't know if it will make it for this year, though. That's the only thing. Ah, uh, okay. You know, it might it might be a late twenty twenty three entry? You know, hopefully, but that it hmm. may also come out next year. I don't know exactly when it's coming out, so that's something to look out for. Excellent, excellent, and um, yeah, you know, I think when we cover the seventies and eighties stuff, you know, a lot of time, look, it's probably a given that we're going to enjoy it. But some of those movies can suck too, you know. I mean, to me, I think some of these, some of these '80s ones that that get a lot of shine when you rewatch, and it's just like, oh, really? Huh. Um, but you know, listeners know that we kind of have an affinity for, I would say, '70s into the mid early '80s in particular. Um, and it's always fun to find shit that we've missed or, or you know, overlooked. Uh, it's funny, you know, we're talking about it in our text threads. A uh, movie we covered uh, a little bit of a ways back is coming out on Blu-ray. Hardcore listeners. Oh wow! Uh, I are stoked about that. Yes, uh, George C. Scott. Um, you know, horror adjacent, right? Not a horror film. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a great episode. Uh, go back and find that one. The hardcore episode. Um, you know, it's funny. I I, I always wonder, like our. Are independent filmmakers, is there like, are there like new movies that are really dark dramas that kind of fall into the lap of like a horror viewer? Does that still happen? Like, you know, like your cruisings and your hardcores and you're like, you know what I'm saying? Like those kind of movies that you and I have, have come to really enjoy over the years. Like what would be like a modern equivalent? Oh, well, I would say that uh, films like that are being made in England and Australia, actually. Mm. You know, mm. There's that uh, The Stranger, you know, with Sean uh-huh. Harris. That, that, that is on uh, Showtime, I think. And that's, it's a, it's a crime film, but it, it, it plays out like a horror movie. Right, right, uh, right. And then, the, of course, there's Bull, which actually is a horror movie that, you know, Jeff and I covered that one. Yeah, Bull was great. Bull was great. But that also could, you could play that as a as just a crime movie too, you know? True, true. That is true. And um, it's funny, on on HBO currently, uh, or, or Max, or whatever you want to call it, there's that show um, that reminds me of Showgirls, but I think Showgirls is a lot better, called The Idol, which has been getting a lot of... Uh, press because it's uh it's pretty filthy um but the acting isn't really that great it, it's kind of like a hot mess you know it's kind of like kind of like summer trash basically you know uh but there's like a lot of sex in it and a lot of wild scenes um but there's no there's nothing that can draw that to horror though there has been no murder and there's been no violence but it, it's kind of like filled with like sex and inappropriateness 
So, you know, I wonder if any listeners at all have, have checked that out. I've kind of low-key enjoyed it. It's on It's on Max? Yeah, it's called The Idol. Yeah, I'll yeah. check that out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you might like it to a degree, or then at a certain point you'd be like, yeah, this is this is not good. But you might like some of it. Some of it you might like. You know what I've um, been watching, actually, that's like... It, it, it's kind of in line with what we mentioned with Skinnamarink. Was a lot of this analog horror stuff that's on YouTube. Oh, okay. There's two things that come to mind. They're called Vita Karna and Monument Mythos. Okay. And you know they're multi they're they're multi episodes and they're just like that weird home like completely independent analog horror like that same scene that the skin and film came out of and there's all this like it's just fucking uncomfortable shit man now is there like a story to follow kind of it's like one of the, it's so interesting man it's like skin and where it's like mm. there's definitely a story but it's not explicitly being told you know like with mm -hmm. Vita Karna, it's about these these creatures that are inhabiting the earth and there's scenes of them like and what they are and like you got to figure out like what the story it's just so you, the thing i like about it is that um you know especially in the last few weeks i just haven't had a whole lot of time just with moving and work and i've had a very busy uh couple weeks when it comes to i haven't you know settling in you know so i've only had like brief brief periods at the end of the evening to watch anything so Mm. I'll, I'll put one of these on and the episodes are short so you can watch a couple of them in, in you know a couple of hours or hour and a half or something and it and it's like real trippy stuff that like you you just kind of take in the imagery and your brain you just get really uncomfortable watching it you know okay that sounds cool yeah Vita Karna and Monument Mythos Vita Karna Monument Mythos I would check those out listeners check those out yeah hey and uh, if you if you're feeling adventurous and uh, again, if you like showgirls, I think the idol might be for you. If that might be up your alley. <laughs> I just got caught onto uh, the White Lotus. Oh, White Lotus is great. I mean, it's just to me, it's just like quality. You know, to me, it's like HBO. It's like at its best in a way. You know what I'm saying? Where it's just like it's if you just put it on blindly. You're, you're pretty much hooked after one episode. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, my, my, my girlfriend, Tina, um, turned me on to it. And uh, mm -hmm. she's like, didn't think I would like it at first. But she's like, well, you know, check it out. And then I was all in. And we banged out, like, I don't know, like five episodes in one night. Of season one? Or you're on season, season two? Season one. I, mean, I okay. haven't finished season one yet. Yeah. When you finish season one... Let me know. Season two is equally great. They are both great, I would say. They're both great. And they even have a, a, a tie-in. There's a tie-in, and that's all I'll say. There's a tie-in. So. And uh, season two, uh, if I'm not mistaken, features uh, the great Michael Imperioli too, right? Yes, it does. And he plays a really interesting role. You're going to love season two. You're going to love it, actually. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, goes in a different different direction. Same vibes, a bit of a different direction. Yes. Uh, takes place in Italy. It's it's very cool. Season two, and I believe season three. Oh, they're going somewhere. Oh man, it's some. I can't remember. Like, I don't know if it's Japan or not, but it's 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 somewhere, you know, outside of Europe and outside of America, Asia. Like one of the you know, I just can't think which city they're going to. But 
I believe that they've already begun filming or the, you know, pre-production. So excited about that. Well, awesome. Yeah. All right, kids, that wraps up another wonderful episode of Necromaniacs podcast. Again, thank you to all the new listeners, all the old listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you, right, Mike? That's right. You know, keep those voicemails coming. It's becoming an actual segment on the show, and I think that's great. Yes. And uh, again, if you don't want to get played, please let us know in the voicemail itself. Otherwise, be prepared for your wonderful voice to be heard by all of our great listeners. So, yeah, we will see you next time, Necromaniacs. Take care, guys. Come at the ground like making a sound The smell of death is all around And at night when the cold wind blows No one cares, nobody knows I don't want to be buried In a big cemetery I don't want to live my life again To the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones And at night when the moon is bright Someone cries something ain't right I don't wanna be buried In a bed cemetery Buried in a bed cemetery. I 